0: Is, is my collar okay, James, before we start? Uh,
2: currently, yes. I noticed you've buttoned it down. Welcome back to the Love Tennis podcast with me, James Gray of the iNewspaper and iNews.co.uk. This week, we'll be talking about Ash Barty, who was finally beaten by a fellow top 10 player, losing out to Arena Sabalenka. We'll look at the clay court rise of Alexander Zverev, who, as well as winning the Madrid Masters, is in pole position to win best-dressed man in the Netherlands circa 1995. Um, and I will, of course, be joined in order to talk about these two or three top players by North London's most injury-prone amateur tennis player. Um, in his <laughs> spare time, he is also Metro's tennis correspondent. He is, of course, George Belshaw.
0: George, how are you? Hello, James. I'm, I'm pretty downtrodden today, I have to say pretty okay, um, uh, is pretty there guessing. another
2: injury to discuss
0: there is another injury so as i know you're all very invested in my in my body i finally made <laughs> my
2: please, <laughs>
0: <be>. <laughs> i finally made my return from this uh painful wrist injury problem that we spoke about last a month ago mm. um and i i had some my first ladder match for this club i joined last october uh, coolhurst and started quite badly served three double faults in the first game fell down an early break clawed my way down got 4-1 up went out wide stretching for a forehand on the clay and uh impressively managed to pull my hamstring valiantly tried to carry on uh was lobbed in the next game ran back to the baseline and, and just had to stop because it pinged so I'm going to physio tomorrow morning so I'll keep you posted next week with a uh, oh please how do I'm doing. Uh, we might do a bonus
2: pod in between um <laughs> we've also got the uh, dulcet tones of uh, and I don't think this is too big a claim literally one of Barnsley's top 100 active tennis coaches um Calvin how are you you join us live from Germany I believe
1: I do, yes, and I actually squeezed into the top fifty of bands <laughs> top, uh, top coaches, yeah. James. Uh, yeah, it's quite an achievement. I believe <laughs> equals Novak's record that he's broke this week. So, well, um, we'll come on to
2: that. What are you doing in Germany?
1: Uh, I am here coaching, doing my day job. Um, I'm doing, I'm doing. We're doing one week here in Germany with Luke, who's been on the podcast before. Um, we're doing one week here in Germany, um, and then we're going to Greece for two weeks after
0: this. Who's the uh, number one coach in Barn- Barnsley? Who's the guy you all aspire to be? Um, there's so many. It's, it's so difficult. I mean, it's, it really is a golden era of, of,
1: tennis, of
2: tennis. overall, and tennis in tennis I mean, in they will be talking about the golden era of Barnsley tennis for years to come. It is actually a really yeah. good time to be for I mean, Barnsley are in the playoffs, right? They might be in the Premier League next year. It's not beyond the realms of yeah. possibility, which is quite. Yeah. A, B- Baz yeah.
1: actually used to have a very good tennis team. We won the Yorkshire League
2: two Ooh. years running. Actually. And that's bigger than wow. the Olympics, as we know. The Yorkshire <laughs> League
1: was a big event for a while. But, uh, it's a big counter.
2: But, yeah. che- cheating, if you ask me. Um, <laughs> we, we, we should, before we move on to this week's tennis, um, we are going to have, uh, as is only right, uh, a minute's silence followed by two minutes of applause as a mark of respect for Novak Djokovic. Um, he's passed... Serena Williams' record of 320 weeks at world number one. He's done so um, by sitting at home, I believe, in Belgrade, which I think, in terms of achievements, to do it just by sitting. You know, I mean, can any other player really claim to have broken such records just by sitting, merely sitting? Calvin, have you got any ideas?
1: No, no not, maybe not broken so many records, but I understand Benoit Paire was quite happy with his record of sitting uh, in a <laughs> quote that we saw earlier. On. <laughs> <laughs> so m- maybe along the same lines.
2: I mean, Ben Paire clearly listens to the podcast because he has very much worked out that he really doesn't have to do very much in order to keep his ranking in the top 40 and keep picking up prize money. Um, rankings, of course, pretty much frozen at the moment, which is why. Well, it's one of the reasons Novak's been able to sit on his backside and move up the rankings. But it's important that we pay tribute to our dear leader. Um, otherwise, we get in trouble at the hands of the Novak Aprachiks. Um, I don't know if the party will be happy with us this time. Maybe I'll get shot in the night by some
0: water rearranged into a bullet. I was just going to say, it's, it's, while he's obviously surpassed Serena Williams, it's not not her who has the record. Do we do we know the numbers Novak is chasing down? Anyone want to hazard a guess? Um, two players.
2: I don't know. Novak's knows, at three twenty. I, I assume it's Steffi Graf.
0: Steffi Graf is number one. Yep. Yeah.
2: Okay. And number two. Um. Uh, no, I couldn't tell you.
1: Is it total number of weeks at number one?
0: Yes. Is it Pete Sampras? It's not. It's, it's Navratilova, because Novak holds it for mm-hmm. the men. We are, I can't believe you've forgotten our minute silence for that a few weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> when he's surpassed Roger. So Navratilova, he needs another 12 weeks to catch her. So you imagine okay. he'll do that. Steffi Graf is a big 57 away, though. So he basically
2: so, needs another year at world number one to, to catch Steffi Graf. Um, Possible? I don't think it's yeah, it's not beyond the realms of possibility, is it? Um, and and then we may have a whole podcast of either silence or applause or a sort of combination <laughs> of the two, um, which which I will just send personally to all anyone with a crocodile in their their Twitter handle, and, and they can especially listen listen to it. Um, well done, Novak. Uh, you are still the world number one player, even though you lost to the world number thirty five last time you played. Um, let's move on to some players who actually are playing tennis at the moment. Um, Ash Barty uh, probably was and maybe still is the form player in the world in 2021. But she was beaten at last by a top 10 player. That record of consecutive victories over top 10 players uh, falling because she lost to Arena Sabalenka in Madrid, um, who beat Daria Kasukina, Jesper Gula, Elise Mertens and then Anastasia Pavlichenkova before reaching the final. Um, George, you're very impressed by my, my uh, pronunciation of
0: Pavlichenkova. I'm always better. impressed by you, James.
2: Thanks <laughs> <laughs> very much. Um, but yeah, George, quite, quite the week for Irina Sabalenka. So then turn around because, of course, she lost the final to Barty two weeks ago in Stuttgart. Is that right? Or a week ago, sorry?
0: No, I mean, it was good. I mean, it's been a really good season for Sabalenka generally. Um, I think the players she's lost to kind of speaks to the level she's at at the minute. I mean, she's only been beaten by Serena, Muguruza, Barty and then... The, the odd one out is Kaya Kanepi. But as we all know, Kaya Kanepi is incredibly dangerous um, in early <laughs> rounds. So, you know, even that to me, that, that that's not even a bad loss per se. Um, I think, you know, this is her first title that's not on a hard court. So that's another sign of good progress for her. You know, she's someone for a while we've been kind of waiting to have this big Grand Slam breakthrough. Um, she, I thought she played really well in Australia as it happens. You know, she lost to Serena in three there. Um, I'm certain this year will be the year she goes beyond the fourth round and I I wouldn't be surprised to see her winning a slam this year I think she's playing some great stuff Um, it's just going to be a case as you know as we've spoken a bit about before there is just so much depth in the women's game right now that a lot of these very big matches are happening in round four Um, a little bit of a better draw for her you know if she was perhaps in a French open draw like we had last year with Sviontek or Kennan, you know, she perhaps could have been going on to win that sort of title. So yeah, it's 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 good times for her and I, I I'm not gonna say immediately I think she's a massive French open favourite because I still don't think Clay's necessarily the surface she'll be winning um, a first slam on, but she she can mix it with the best and she's beaten guys like Barty and Hallett recently. So yeah, on the up.
2: And I think um it's worth pointing out you know, we talk a lot about Ash Barty's kind of mental resilience. I think maybe in the past, Irene Sablanka, we haven't always associated with that. Um, but if you look at the way that final in Madrid played out, you know, she bageled Barty in the first set, which I think probably will have surprised <laughs> her as much as any else. And, and Barty then hit back and won the second. And I, I think in terms of emotional roller coasters and, you know, any final for any player, especially, a, a, you know, a, a top tour final is one. I think if you were to choose you know which way around those sets were to go, I don't know. you'd want the momentum going with you going into the third set. I think anyone would take that. so to then kind of hold out in what was a very tight final set and serve it out as she did. I think she won the last eight, nine points consecutively. She from four all she, she held and then and, uh, she broke serve and then held to love. So um, I think definitely progress in that area. Uh, you mentioned clay, George. You didn't think it'd be her big breakthrough. She, she's got a quite tardy record on clay. I think before this week she was pretty much fifty-fifty in pro clay court matches. Calvin, I, I suppose when you look at her game, you wouldn't expect clay to be to be her big breakthrough. But I guess some players are good enough that, that they can do it on any surface to an extent.
1: Yeah, particularly players who hit so big as well, as we discussed a couple of times that. There's two ways to win on clay. You either make a load of balls, or you hit so big that you can hit through the court, where other players can't. So, um, and and again, something else we discussed. There's there's not a great deal of difference now between a clay court and uh, a hard court pace-wise. Mm. Um, and she's Russian as well. They grow up. They play a lot of the clay. Yeah, most of the, most mm. the Russians are pretty decent. It's not Belarusian. She's
2: Belarusian. She's Belarusian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: Which, um, and they won't
2: like that. They won't like that mistake either. No. So
1: probably, no. Don't,
2: probably don't go to Belarus for a few months. Um, <laughs> yeah. With my um,
1: but uh, yeah, I mean, anywhere in Eastern Europe, they play a lot of clay court tennis, so yeah. she will She
0: will have grown up on it.
2: Well, just kind of coming on to that, because I saw you having um, a robust debate on Twitter. Uh, earlier this week, possibly today actually. That doesn't about,
0: sound like Calvin.
2: <laughs> about uh, clay court tennis. And obviously, one of the things that, that's always been true kind of in the UK is that we don't play a lot of clay court tennis. There aren't a lot of clay courts at all. Um, I know a lot of guys go abroad at the age of 13 or 14 and Murray, for example, being the, the obvious one, went to Barcelona, played a lot on clay there. Um, Calvin, do you think it is a real problem? You've obviously worked with a lot of junior players that, They don't know how to do it because they haven't played on that surface a lot? Yeah,
1: well, um, Esteban Carril, who's regarded as one of the best tennis coaches in the world, he said that the best assistant coach you could hope for is a clay court. Um, Basically, if, if players grow up playing on clay courts, because of the nature of it, because it's slow, power's not always relevant. You have to find other ways to win. You have to have a bit of feel. You have to know your court geometry. You have to learn to move properly. You have to work the points and it just develops skills that you can't really develop on faster courts or on indoor hard, that type of thing. So it's hugely important. And it's a problem that we have in the UK. We just don't have enough of them. The problem is, is that they're, they're not cheap to lay down and they take a lot of maintenance. I was down mm-hmm. at the NTC last week and the groundsman was telling me that it's basically a full-time job looking after their clay courts and they've only got four of them.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, there was quite a lot of... Uh... Maybe outcries a little bit strong, so I'm not sure that many people have tapped into this. But for people who were at the time, you know, the idea that the, the national tennis centres that were, that were being built weren't kind of providing clay well, did kind of bring a bit of a uh, bit of backlash as well. I mean, but Calvin's right; I mean, it is quite it is quite an expensive thing to upkeep. But I mean, you'd kind of think that for such expensive academies, that that would be one thing. You would hope to kind of invest in, in terms of trying to build this base for players to play at, if it's going to become a world-beating academy, where you know clay is providing such a good base for the majority of the top players started on it. Really, I mean, there's there's very few exceptions who weren't big clay court players in their junior years yeah and also
1: that there's no excuse why the academies can't have it and to be fair I think Loughborough are getting clay courts and I think the plan is probably for Sterling to have them as well and the National Tennis Centre has got some the problem is that we wanted to practice on red clay we were going to play tournaments on red clay this week we were looking for somewhere to practice on them and there's basically in the whole country you've got Queen's Club which is I think at last count about £12,000 a year to be a member of <laughs> um, and, and you've got the National Tennis Centre which is pretty much like the equivalent of Fort Knox, although they were kind enough to let us practice there last week and for me to stay there. Um, but and then what we've had over recent years is this, and this is what you'll have seen, James. Maybe one of I've had a couple of robust debates about clay courts over the last 24 hours. But um, what one, one of the sort of strange situations we found ourselves in is saying that we're laying down artificial clay courts, which are basically they're nothing like clay courts. It's an AstroTurf court. With, it's an orange astroturf court, so it's the same color as clay, and that's about as close as it gets to a clay court. So a clay court is slow, that's the thing. An astroturf court is fast, the ball skids, the ball doesn't skid on a clay court, it digs into the clay. A slice isn't really effective on a clay court, it's hugely effective on an astroturf court. Um, and So there's no sense in saying, oh, we've laid down artificial clay courts when they don't, they're not representative of what a clay court is.
0: I was just going to say, I think I saw um, weirdly through uh, my old coach in Birmingham, who, who changed coaches. I think I saw Jay Clark going down there the other week, actually, to a place called Little Aston, um, okay, in Birmingham. I don't know if that I, I was, I didn't really realise they had clay there. Um, but I'm wondering if that was Astro Clay as well. I'm not sure, but it, there is just such a shortage that he, you know he was needing to travel to a different city to kind of get some play on clay and you know that really shouldn't be the case
1: there's also then there's green clay which we got we, we went through a spell again quite a few of those but they're not really like a red clay court either they, they tend not to have as much top dressing on them so you lose the, slide, the, you lose the slide element of it as well and they tend to be even slower than normal clay courts so it, it becomes a bit turgid the tennis on that but there, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of green clay courts around anymore either
2: Hmm. I mean, George, I saw you in your notes you were mentioning that Barty had actually played on green clay this year. I'm not sure. Was that in the US?
0: Presumably? I think Charleston, s- Charleston yeah.
1: Um, there was also, I-, I-, I should mention it, the second robust debate I had on Twitter about courts was <laughs> somebody <laughs> suggesting, and I still, I, saw this believe this, I still cannot believe this, that somebody who is quite influential in the tennis world, he does a lot of presentations and people pay him, He was saying that if you can't find a clay court, then you should play with flat balls because it's the next best option. And not only flat balls, but 50% flat balls. So (laughs) tennis balls with 50% less air in them than what they should have. And then suggesting that if not, then then mini tennis balls, which, by the way, kids stop playing with mini tennis balls when they're 10.
0: (laughs) My question—I I read that earlier. My question for that was: Is there a place that you can buy fifty percent air? How do you know how much air is in them? So, no, the the balls—the balls are fifty percent air,
2: George. Not—not not the air. You don't get special fifty percent. <laughs> no,
0: I, I thought it was saying that they were like losing a certain amount of air, and you just I, had to I work th- out when it was fifty percent. Is he saying? Think- I think what he was saying was
1: that an orange ball. So for anyone who doesn't know, mini tennis is red, orange, green. So yeah, red yeah. is the softest ball. Orange is the middle one. Green is th- the next level down from a normal tennis ball. And I think what he was saying was that orange is fifty percent, or maybe red is fifty percent, right. one of them. Yeah. But if you it, t- to sort of put that into context, they just don't bounce. So clay court <laughs> bounces high. Right, a fifty percent ball doesn't bounce. And, the players won't be trying to do different things with it because they, they, if if two professional players played with a green tennis ball, the ball wouldn't reach them. The ball wouldn't reach each other. It, it, you can't hit it. It doesn't go anywhere. So, yeah, just astonishing, absolutely astonishing. <laughs> I would like
2: to see... I mean, this man has a PhD in sort of um, yeah. sports coaching science or something along those lines. I would like to see him play proper tennis with a 50% ball and, and see if it looks... Because, as you said... It, it it won't bounce, and then that's kind of you know the best clay court player probably ever. The biggest problem is of playing against him is this spitting, spinning yeah. forehand. Yeah, yeah. And I assure you, if you gave him a fifty percent tennis ball, he would be a lot easier to play against. <laughs> but it's not, also it not was a also... You're not saying I could beat Nadal with a fifty percent tennis ball, but yes. You know. <laughs> it was also
1: the certainty. It was the certainty with which he said it, though, that it's, it it is great for player development. But why this is a this is a man of science, right? So, what evidence have you got that this is great for player development? Which, which player has come through? He's currently in the top twenty in the world and said, "Yeah, you know, I used to do six months just playing with mini orange balls." <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just ludicrous claim from a man of science.
2: <laughs> a man of science, I like that. <laughs> the Chris Whitty of tennis. <laughs> <if you will. laughs> Yeah. Well, um, anyone who wants to uh, join in with Calvin's robust conversations about tennis, he's that's <laughs> Cal Betton on Twitter. Yeah. I would recommend.
0: I think like every week we've got a new debate that Calvin's a new kind of robust conversation that Calvin started with someone that has I'm, spun I'm, off what? into something to talk about. I'm all. Well, was one yesterday. There was one yesterday. Said, there was one when it's in it. the com-
1: there's someone on the commentary yesterday. It was after um, Zverev had won, and I think Robbie Koenig said. They were talking, obviously, altitude was a big factor in Madrid. And Robbie Koenig said, um, the altitude is determined by your attitude. And I was <laughs> like, no, it's metres it's meters above sea level. <laughs> that's, that's what determines the altitude.
2: <laughs> that's a classic, like, the classic commentator's thing of saying, like, they're just having witnessed a really good performance. And they want to make a point that it doesn't matter what the conditions are if you just think that they're not there. yeah. And actually, the truth is, you no, know, you're just better than the other guy, and yeah. the conditions haven't made a difference in that sense. Um, I'll we come, on come on to my
0: full Zverev rant later on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We'll come on to commentators laziness about Zverev. George, you wanted to say something? I was just going
0: to say, I think, I think we need to name this segment something like Betton's Gripe of the Week or something. Or <laughs> just, just... <laughs> it needed an official title, and we work yeah. out once a week his angry Twitter rant and I mean, I'm it. just
2: worried that it might take over the whole podcast, That's the whole podcast right? if, if we actually give him the space for it, rather than making him crowbar into it. Um, I, I, I don't know whether we've, uh, we've re- really given Arena Sabalenka all the time she deserves. She, she has been playing extremely well in 2021. Georgia, as you mentioned, I think we all think that she is due a Grand Slam breakthrough. Just for the record, it's worth noting that she's never been past the fourth round in a Grand Slam. She's never been past the second round at Wimbledon. Um, her record at the French Open is very shoddy as well. As you say, she, she's now up to uh, number four in the world, uh, which is a career-high ranking. Am I right in saying the French Open seedings have already frozen? Or uh, George is making that face when he's like, oh, here's something I should know, and I don't
0: know it. because obviously they I, moved it I always think, week. I can't remember, I always think it's Just before Madrid or just after Madrid. I can't remember which way around it is. Um, Well, I mean, look, if it's after,
2: then she she will at least have guaranteed herself a pretty handy draw. Um, And
0: and Medvedev went back above Nadal if it was this week. Well, exactly, Um, which is pretty... That would be significant.
2: Yes. Uh, Maybe we'll find that out. um, It's all right next week. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. But no, um, credit to Arena Sabalenka, even though... Uh, she has spent the last six weeks avoiding me for an interview, but uh, it's okay, it's fine. I'm not bitter about it. I'll move on. Very rude. I know. She claims she's too busy playing tennis. I just don't. See Did it she say that anymore.
0: directly, or is this people around? Well, no, that?
2: because as you well know, George, one doesn't have direct conversations with top ten tennis <laughs> players. One has direct conversations with IMG, um, inevitably, because they manage everyone. Uh, people they don't manage, though, Alexander Zverev, because no one really wants to. <laughs> uh, but he he's winning tennis matches now, uh, which is what he's supposed to do. He took the title in Madrid uh, with quite a, a sort of laundry list of players that he beat on the way. Uh, we'll come on to those particular matches. He beat Dominic Thiem, Rafa Nadal, and then the big-hitting Matteo Berrettini
0: in the final. George,
2: quite a, quite a decent run for, for anyone, never mind for Zverev.
0: Yeah, very good. Um, I mean, he's he's had success in Madrid before, and I think he beat Team in his first title win there um, in 2017 or 18. I can't remember which, but um, yeah, you know, it's it's a court that suits him again. Um, You know, we spoke a bit about the differences in Madrid. You know, Zverev's got a big serve that does suit him. Um, He likes an indoor hard court as well, Um, but. That said, he is also a pretty handy clay court player, and you know he um, has won Rome before as well. He's done pretty well at the French in the past, um, so I, I think he's probably sliding a little bit under the radar for this French Open. Actually, um, do, you do, he... under, do you think we do? Do you think we do Long play for? What yeah, I, 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 I think a little bit. I mean, I don't know. If, I think he's a pretty solid player on every surface, apart from. Maybe you'd say grass. We've never really seen his best form. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, I think he, he is good on clay. I think the the interesting thing this year will be that there's clearly such a weakness in one of the top four seeds on clay. You know, that that doesn't really happen at other slams. Um, yeah. You know, if Zverev lands in Medvedev's section, you're pretty sure he's a semi-finalist. And if... If it's the case, and we should know this, whether Medvedev is one of the top seeds and Zverev can go on to the side where there's no Novak and Rafa, for example, and you know, he's just beaten team in Madrid. We don't know exactly what shape team's in. Okay, team you'd normally back him. Um but, you know, that that that's an opening for someone. And it'll take a few things to go right for Zverev. You know, I don't really see him beating Rafa, but if you know, team takes out Rafa, for example, which I think is possible in a one-off match that's maybe not the final, um, rather than, you know, him beating him in, in the final, having gone through a Novak, having gone through a Stefanos, having gone through a Zverev. Um, so, you know, there's there's a few little factors there, I'm sure, as it we actually get there that none of this will happen and they'll all lose early and Nadal will just romp to victory. But, <laughs> you know, it, it does at least sound a little bit more interesting in my head at this point. And I think Zverev someone who's getting quite consistent at the slams almost. Um, you know, he's had a few good results now over the last year, probably probably been the player who's actually reached the most semi-finals over the last 12 months, I'd say. Um, mm. That might be wrong. But, you know, when you consider Novak um, was disqualified and Rafa didn't play in New York. You know, Zverev's made a pretty decent fist of what's um, been going for him. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I think I, I, I definitely we'll wait and see the draw, of course, and when we all get round to that. But I, I I've got a sly feeling Zverev could be a, a sneaky finalist.
2: Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think a sneaky finalist, someone who'd won a title on clay a couple of weeks
0: before, is not necessarily <laughs> the same thing. But I think but, when you, you know, but 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 we probably wouldn't have him in our top. Well, I, we wouldn't have him in our top three favourites, would it? We? We'd oh, probably. George, don't you start with your top fives, honestly? Well, well, the... um, but I think it's it an interesting question, though, who your top fives are at the minute. Because I mean, you're probably looking at Rafa, Novak, and Team as the top three. Cisarpass, yeah. four. I would, I would certainly yeah.
2: have him in there. Yeah, and yeah.
0: then Zverev five, or are we putting someone well, else? There?
2: I don't know who else you put in. Not Rublev because we know that he doesn't have it against the top players. But he's beaten Ra- Rafa
0: on the last few weeks.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm discount I mean, I, I think we've talked about Rafa not being a form guy necessarily all the time, and I'm kind of discounting a lot of his results at the moment <laughs> because I just. I don't think he's fully fit. I, th- I think he's got this injury which not necessarily is hindering him, but I think it's hindering how much he's willing to push. I think he's, you know, we've talked before about these guys targeting the Grand Slams. And I think Rafa's feeling on his injury is, look, I'm not going to, like, knacker myself in the Madrid Masters quarterfinal. If push comes to shove and, you know, the doctor's saying, well, if you take a load of painkillers, you could really... You could get through this match and you'll be fine and you have freedom of move- movement, but we don't know what it'll do to you. He's not going to do that. So I, I kind of think everything with Rafa at the moment is with a pinch of salt. Nevertheless, just don't think Rublev is a top five player on clay. Uh, the only other guys you're going to put in there are Berrettini, who's obviously in good form, and Diego Schwartzman equally. So I suppose Berrettini does sneak into the top five to answer your
0: there we go. That's all I wanted, that validation. That's all you ever
2: want is validation. And I, I mean, <laughs> that's why we all became journalists. That's pretty much We just, just live for it. Um, Calvin, I know you've got a B in your bonnet about Alexander Zverev's technically perfect backhand. Um, just before you kind of release that B, do, do you think people... Do, I, and I know you're going to say that clay courts are the same as every other court these days, but do you see Alexander Zverev as someone that people do underrate on clay, and someone who could go deep in a French Open? No. Um, Why not? He, um, he, I, he's
1: been terrible. He's been rubbish on the clay. Well, he, he wasn't rubbish. He, he's pretty rubbish at Monte Carlo, wasn't he? Who did he lose at Monte Carlo? Oh, put me um, on the spot. I can't remember. He lost to David
2: He lost to I David Goffa in straight sets. Yeah. And then in yeah. Munich, he lost so basically, to So basically, yeah... Um,
1: Madrid, for me, stands alone. It's, a two, it's about 2,000 metres altitude, and Zverev's game is perfect for altitude. For people who don't know this, certain, certain types of game are ideal for altitude. If you're tall and have a big first serve and you, and you have a crack at ground strokes, those types of players are normally pretty good on altitude. Also, small players who make a lot of balls who normally can't get the ball through the court, they tend to do pretty well on altitude as well because it gives their shots a little bit more that they wouldn't usually have. Zverev's game is ideal for it because he doesn't normally he has to be more precise with his first serve because if he just gets first serves in the slot, then the ball comes back. What we saw the weekend, particularly in the quarterfinals, semi-finals, final, is he's not really aiming his first serve. He's aiming for the box and just cracking it as hard as he can. And because of the altitude, it's bouncing so high, the serves are basically hardly ever coming back.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and because of that, his first serve percentage is higher which means his weakness, his huge weakness, which means his second serve never really comes into play. There was some talk that he'd silenced the Demons against um, Team the other day when he served for the match. He made, I think he made every first, no, he, made, he missed his first serve and he double faltered when he served for the match. And then he made four, four first serves in a row. Mm. So that, that isn't silencing the Demons. What would be silencing the Demons would be if he can't make a first serve and he still holds serve. We all know he's got a great great first serve. He's got a great first serve and he's got a great backhand. There's no question about that. What we don't know is whether his second serve holds up under pressure and whether his forehand holds up under pressure. His forehand was pretty good last week, but I can't read anything into what he does in Madrid for the French Open. It's completely different circumstances.
2: Yeah, just to to give you some stats on that, um, in the final he served at 70% on his first serve, 70% in, and and won 75% of the points on that against team 66% and won 78% of points behind it. Um, a little lower against Rafa 61%, but he won 82% of, of points behind that first serve. So he's clearly going for it. And Rafa did get all over his second serve. I mean, he won less than, I think he won 42% of points on his second serve. Yeah. Against Rafa. So, you know, there were other things at play there. And I think you're right to suggest that this massive weakness in his game is still there. Um, Talking of silencing demons, by the way, there was some suggestion that Dominic Team had kind of got over something um, by picking up a couple of wins in Madrid. He beat Marcus uh, Hiron, the American. He beat Alex de Mineur and John Isner. Particularly the Isner match, he went down um, in the first set and then fought back. But realistically, George, uh, does that tell us anything? Do we we take anything
0: from Dominic Team getting to the semi finals in Madrid? Um well, I mean, I, I don't see the Zverev loss being a terrible result for team. I think, as Calvin stressed there, Madrid suits Zverev's game a lot more than it does team. Um, so, you know, I, I think it, a semi-final run where you lose to a guy like Zverev, who the conditions are vastly more favourable for, is not bad. Um yeah, I mean, look, he, he he's done okay this week. It's it's hard to say it's perfect, but it, probably better than it was looking for him a little earlier in the year, where he was pretty pretty pants, to be honest. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think for him, it is just a case of timing this right for the French Open. I think he, we we've all spoken along a lot before about how a team has often not timed things right and just peaked way too early in the clay court season, you know, when he's beating Rafa in Barcelona and then completely out of juice by the end of the French Open, Um, you know, for him to kind of have a bit of a low-key play season and then you know, get through your first four matches in Roland Garros in straight sets, no problems, get every ounce in the tank for the end of it and as you say, you know, Rafa, he'll be trying to do the same thing but it's not, you know, he's not looking as formidable as he has done in the past, and that this might just be a case of him knowing, you no, know, seriously, seriously prioritising. But it, it does provide a little bit of hope. And team is one of only realistically two people in my mind who I think can beat Rafa at the French yeah. Open. Um, and know suggest nowhere near on paper at the minute, and he was nowhere near in the final last year, although that was probably the most competitive bagel set I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it, team is the one who has consistently troubled Rafa in the, for at least two sets and then run out of gas because it's been in a final where he's normally made a pig's ear or something a little bit earlier and perhaps run out of gas. So, you know, this is a big chance for him particularly if, as is the case that we think it could be, that he draws on Medvedev's side and avoids Rafa and Novak. I mean, that, that would be massive for team um, yeah. to not have to go through both of them.
2: Yeah, but then we will have to go through Zverev. Just
1: on, on who we think can go far in our, our top fives, and although, as we know, we have our reservations here, but I would fancy Rublev to go further than Zverev. Rublev won't, really? lose, to any, yeah, Rublev won't lose to anybody who he shouldn't lose to at the, at the French. There's a and fair we know chance that's Veret. Is
2: specialty, isn't it? Is losing to people
1: that you shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it, I, I, there are numerous people who I can see going past Zverev. I'd even have Sinner above Zverev, if I'm honest. And right. who could go further at the French?
0: Well, well, Sinner was superb at the, the last French Open. You know, he probably. Yeah. Be along better. with, along with Schwartzman, he gave Rafa the roughest ride. Um, I would say. So. And he, yeah. of
2: course, is is playing Rafa again. I think tomorrow in Rome. So that'll be a nice kind of. Uh, Form check. That's Tuesday, uh, depending on when you're you're listening to this. That he's he's playing. So that'd be quite quite an interesting. He played great today. I watched him against Kumbair today. It was
1: fantastic. Mm.
2: A yeah, nice matchup of two kind of uh, up and comers there. I just wanted to just on the team kind of. This is what he said after he lost to Zverev. He said it was a way better result than I expected. Playing wise and physically wise, I expect to be in decent shape, but there are still many things to improve. Just to keep just to keep all the intensity all the week, day in day out. I'm very optimistic that every week I'm playing now, it's going to improve, especially for confidence. It was important to get a great result here. I'm happy that I think I'm on the right track. And I suppose what I want to highlight about that is that he's talked about really struggling mentally since winning that US Open. And and we all kind of saw it on the court earlier in the the year with those defeats in the the Middle East to uh, Roberto Bautista Agut and to um, Lloyd Harris, you know, players who he would probably expect to beat. On hard court, so so nice to see him back, feeling like um, he wants to be playing good tennis, and and that uh, he's able to walk away from a defeat to Zverev and be be pretty kind of happy about it, as as happy as I think any of these guys ever are when they lose. Um, let's move on a little bit. More good news for guys who we've maybe been worried about in Andy Murray, who is out in Rome this week. He's not playing; he's practicing with um, with Novak Djokovic and with Diego Schwartzman as well. Two very good clay court players. And, and then I think he's going to head to Lyon and Geneva, although I should put that with the asterisk that almost any of that could change at any notice because this is Andy Murray and we know that he has his own particular approach to scheduling. Um, he's brought back in uh, Mark Petchy, uh, something that we were chatting about off air last week and that's now been um, been confirmed that he's got Petchy. And I think on a, a sort of consultative basis, George, is that right?
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, uh, semi semi. Uh, I was going say semi permanent. Temporary is probably just the best word to use, to be honest. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's one of I would say one of Calvin's famous trial periods that oh, he yes. loves so much. <laughs> Not that he needs, you know, they know each other pretty well, but I think it's just a case of seeing what he can bring to the team. There's no one dropping out or anything. It's just that extra voice in there. Um, we all know Mark's pretty pretty good technically. Um, excellent commentator. It'll be a bit of a loss if he's not doing much of that the next few weeks as he's uh, certainly very good in that department. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I think Andy is an interesting time. I mean, Novak was quite complimentary of him earlier, actually, um, talking about their practice, saying he thought he was moving really well and hitting really well. And Andy's been a bit funny in terms of saying, well... You know, the French aren't going to have me with a wild card until they see me play. Whether that means they need to see me win matches, I'm not sure. It was just, But, it, you know, it'll be interesting. I, I'm a little bit surprised they're not just giving him one, to be honest. I still think, from their perspective, getting bums on seats is um, he, still a decent enough draw. And I'm not sure many of the wild cards who will be getting one will be so good that they've definitely earned one. Um, yeah. So... Yeah.
2: Um, Calvin, as I mentioned, you, you were kind of aware that Petch was uh, in the mix. Can you kind of give us a bit of an insight into what, what he will bring and, and their kind of relationship between, between the two of them?
1: Um, first of all, I, 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 Petch was on Amazon today um, and he sort of cleared it up. I, I don't think it's quite a trial period. I think, you know, they are going to go ahead with it. But Petch said that he doesn't think he'll be able to do the travelling that's required to be a full time coach and that kind of thing because of the commentary. Uh, and I know he's committed to the tennis channel over summer with uh, in America. So I don't think he's going to necessarily be a road coach. Um, in terms of what he'll bring, he's obviously a good coach. He, took, he knows Andy well. He knows his game. Andy trusts him. Um, and I think he's just another pair of eyes. I think that's what Andy probably thinks it is. I don't think it's any sort of shade on, on Jamie Delgado, who's his coach. He's, he's, he seems well on board with it. I think it's just some, just a different pair of eyes to look and see <coughs> if any improvements can be made, really.
2: Am I right in saying that they worked together way back when? Is that that right?
1: Yeah, I think uh, Petch took him from maybe juniors and into the top one hundred. I'm going to say, hmm. um, and then and then Brad Gilbert took over.
2: Hmm, interesting. Um, Murray's also confirmed um, this week that he's going to play uh, what I believe I'm supposed to call the Cinch Championships, uh, which is Queens to everyone else. Uh, along with Dan Evans uh, and his brothers playing doubles as well. Uh, I did note, George, that the the LCA press release mentioned, I kind of saw the headlines, Andy Murray, Dan Evans, and I sort of scrolled through looking for who else was confirmed to play. Uh, And I was kind of sadly disappointed that there were no other singles names mentioned. How badly do you think this Queen's field is going to get hit by the French Open movie a week later?
0: Um possibly quite badly i was just the, the, the just the first thing i was gonna say was uh has there ever been a more off-brand sponsorship than cinch for queens i mean second-hand is that, cars is that what they do <laughs> yeah i mean like it's just, i don't think
2: anyone uh, at queens has ever owned a second-hand car <laughs> in a
0: 1977 ferrari it's a crazy deal but um yeah i mean look i think queens were aware in the past that they've quite often promised people who then haven't been able to go there. Um,
2: oh, and... who could you possibly be talking
0: about, George? Mm,
2: could it be Rappel? It's to say.
0: More? <laughs> <laughs> and, and this year, particularly, as you say, with the French Open change, it is probably a little more on their minds that they don't want to just start advertising people who aren't going to be there. The other thing I would say, though, is that they quite often stagger who they're announcing. So right. there may be another announcement next week. Um Although, in normal times, they normally do like an announcement around like the Miami Open um, and then mm-hmm. they stagger a few more through. So, they are leaving it a little bit later on that front. But I think to I be honest. There's, also just,
2: there's a little bit less incentive to sell tickets because. That's such exactly a what I was going to say. Exactly what
0: I was going to say. <clears throat> they've, they've sold out what they have. So, yeah. what's the incentive to then drag people in? You know, it's not like you're trying to max out your ticket sales is is a minimum that's going to go to the hardcore tennis fans who are going to show up either way so yeah I, yeah I don't think it's probably top of their agenda of course they've got a new tournament director this year so um it may just be a general different approach who knows but um yes we'll, there's, we'll a, there's what...
2: a lot to talked about tournament directorship and the uh, the lta's much wanted tournament director development program
0: um, with, yes. I know, uh, that was Lee's... Calvin's gripe of the week, wasn't it, the other week, I think? It, uh, not on I this pod, but I saw him losing. Uh, it I jumped on it. It was not It was Mike Dixon's.
2: <laughs> yes, I think Dicko was uh, of the Daily Mail, a esteemed colleague and sort of fellow employee um, who really decided that this was a, a new and innovative way of throwing money under the wind. Um, which, well, I don't know. I mean, if there aren't any British tournament directors, you've got to do something about it. But let's not get bogged down in that because I think it's, it's well, maybe something a w- slow week. I
0: was going to say, we could save that chat for Queen's because I think the idea there aren't any British tournament directors is is uh, not true, really. And that it's very okay. odd that they've, you know, why would they get a training scheme when they've already got British people running these other tournaments that are surely obvious stepping stones? And I think the 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 clear answer is that there are very uh, more and more dodgy links with IMG appearing that are uh, pushing through odd candidates into odd spots, is what I would say.
2: You um, should just um, say that um, we're not suggesting that IMG are uh, providing any corruption in this. Um, oh, no, IMG no, no. have strong. It's not corruption. Links. No, but the word dodgy is very dodgy,
0: George. Um, well, dodgy, dodgy in terms of. Uh, yeah, dodgy is maybe the wrong dodginess. word. Dodginess. But... Dodginess. I'm I'm thinking more jammy dodger dodgy than uh, you know corruption. How about that?
2: All I'm doing is kind of
0: making making notes for my high
2: court definition and wondering how to explain to the high court judge what the jammy dodger is. Uh, But Calvin, you wanted to say something, presumably slightly less libelous. Yeah. um,
1: Well. I think it's me that's saying it. I won't put money on it. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and one, I prefer the LTA put more time and effort into getting more tennis players than, tennis, than tournament directors. Oh, um, yeah. and, and two, there were, I don't get the suggestion that, that – I think somebody commented on it. I don't know whether it was someone from the LTA or not, but somebody commented on it saying that if we had more tournament directors, we could have more tournaments, right? The tournament director job is a bit of a black. It's a bit of a cushy <laughs> number. They don't really do anything, right? Yeah. The, the, refer, the referee runs the tournament at any level. The tournament director is a bit of a schmoozer. And I it's don't sort get of why. It's head really. of
2: marketing, really, isn't
1: it? Yeah. I don't get really why. You know, has any tournament director gone through a course to become that before? And, and <laughs> you know, so it's just bizarre. Like, I think uh, that yeah. Ross Hutchins went straight from playing tennis to being the tournament director. So... Why do we now need a course? And, and realistically...
2: Has, has he got a Tech in being a tournament director? I don't think so. No.
1: <laughs> and, and realistically as well, right, it's say, if, say if one of us goes and does the tournament director course, right, are we realistically going to be getting queens or are they going to give it to the next British player who retires?
0: <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, I mean, like, J- Jamie Murray's probably just waiting to have that job, isn't he, really? Yeah. I would, I would yeah. suggest um, mm. that he's not quite finished, but in a couple of years probably would... Not, I'm sure the new guy will be fine, but um, yeah, it was, a, it was a slightly odd choice, let's put it that way.
2: Uh, maybe maybe a week, uh, in a, a few weeks time, we can get on someone who, who runs one of these smaller tournaments, uh, you know, a, a tournament director, and they can tell us just how much of a blag it is. Um, so <laughs> <Yeah>. well, <it's laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell
0: us about this thing where you do absolutely nothing, <laughs> yeah. Hello, says so a tournament director. <laughs> like, what do you do with the rest of your day? Um,
1: yeah. Well, you let, pretty much let... call up players and ask how their their days been?
2: <laughs> very good. Um, well, I don't envy... Well, actually, I, I think we should be very um, grateful to the tournament director in Rome this week because whoever he or she is, uh, they've put together a cracking women's draw. Uh, Serena Williams, I believe, is back this week on, in Rome. She's on course for a quarterfinal clash with Naomi Osaka, although that requires both of them uh, winning their way through to the quarterfinals. George, although I think that probably doesn't require quite as many victories as I do, I think. Is it one each, basically?
0: T- two. Okay. Naomi Osaka winning win two matches in a row on clay. I'm not confident. No, no. But it'd be nice, though, wouldn't it? I mean, I think I think Osaka's down to potentially meet Jen Brady, which uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily back her in, to be honest, No. Um, on clay. But Although Brady's not exactly a clay court specialist
2: either, for want of a better word. Um, you know, she's... I can't imagine she's done a huge amount on clay off the top of my head that I can think of. So, you know, there's, there's hope yet. So, to be honest, I'd quite happily watch Jen Brady against Serena Williams on clay as well. Mm. Um, Naomi Osaka first has to get through um, Jess Pagula uh, rather than Jen Brady, uh, who you've kind of interchanged American East Coast players. I, I, think,
0: I think Jen Brady's the one in the round after, potentially. right The second match the win day. she'd need, I think, off the top of my head.
2: All right, very good um, but yeah, so definitely worth keeping an eye on on Rome on both sides, both the men's and the women's this week because there should be some, some really decent matchups. I think George you you very kindly for me put together this sort of potential quarterfinal lineup and it it does look like some pretty serious matches. I think it's the last 16 I've put together for you James even better Hi, I see you Even doing. better um, I quite like the look of uh, Sophia Kennan versus Igor Fiontek, although I rather fear that that might
0: be. A bit one sided. Repeat of last year's final, of course.
2: Yes, although Sophia Kennan has rather forgotten how to play tennis since then.
0: Mm, she'd forgotten how to play tennis before then. I mean, it was a miracle <laughs> she got to that final. I mean, honestly, I, she was terrible. I think she got double bageled the, um, the match before the French Open by Azarenka or something, well, was, if, if memory serves. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. Um,
2: the one thing we haven't talked about, which, which I kind of skipped over, Uh, which we kind of touched on, is Daniil Medvedev, because as you mentioned, George, he's gone back to world number two. In in the absolute mental world that is the men's (laughs) rankings at the moment, where basically, as far as I can tell, not playing or being really bad are the two things that move you up the rankings. Um, (laughs) Because Daniil Medvedev is up to number two, despite just hating playing on clay. Uh, There are too many hilarious moments to list. Although my personal favourite was being told off for hitting the court with his racket, saying, don't damage the court. And he said, it's already damaged, it's made of clay. <laughs> uh, which is my favourite line from a tennis player. Um, Calvin, can you think of anyone who's ever been world number two and quite so dreadful on one of the main surfaces?
1: Uh, no, if I'm totally honest. <laughs> is he, that, is, is he, that he dreadful? He That's the the final last year, didn't he?
2: I mean, yeah. and, and another in...
1: thing, he's playing doubles. He's playing doubles all these tournaments. If he really hated it, would you be playing doubles? And I watched him play doubles stakes. they played against Murray and um, Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez and they won and he was up for it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm I... not entirely sure that he hates it as much as he said. Yeah,
0: if it could, it, could, it, could all be a sneaky it. ploy for the French Open. He's just going to turn thrash everyone. I mean, it, you know, he, he had a good win over Davidovich Kofakina despite all that complaining. I mean, he, he, that was a good win. He's um, been in pretty decent form. And you know, he pushed, Garin, he pushed Garin pretty close. Garin's a guy probably who would fit into our very mold of a clay court specialist. Um, <laughs> he loves the natural surfaces, but only one of them. <laughs> not the other one. that no, um, <laughs> I, I was just
2: thinking, I've you not had a great got the natural surfaces in. You had a great opportunity earlier when we were talking about artificial clay. To talk about natural science. Uh,
0: uh,
2: unnatural and you clay. Completely missed it. So I'm not that, really that's shocking. shocking. I, I was really disappointed in you, actually. Um, that is poor. Cool. Yeah, I, I think.
1: this is the thing. Um, uh, can I just jump in on this? This is what winds me up most. About artificial <laughs> clay. Right? I'm coming back on the rant here, right? How can artificial clay and art- how can how can artificial clay and artificial grass be literally the same? How can they be made? (laughs) That's what they are. They're literally the same. They're a different colour. So yeah,
2: (laughs) right. Down boy. It's
0: It's just unnatural, Calvin, isn't it? It's just unnatural. It is. Not natural.
2: (laughs) I do wonder about these never dead kind of um, tee offs, though. Uh, He clearly, while he may not be awful on clay, because you know he's beaten some decent clay court players, and, and we've seen that. He clearly doesn't enjoy playing on clay and all the all the things that go with it. But we've also seen this before with Daniil Medvedev. You know, he, he even clashed with flan, f- flans fans, I think, in um, <laughs> the famous clash of flans. <laughs> Joe Conter against Joe Conter, clash of the flans. <laughs> um, but we've seen it before, right? Like he he did it in the US Open when it out there and it it kind of G'd him up, and he, he, I think he quite enjoyed the, the antagonism with the fans. And so, what I'm kind of working up to is is it that Daniil Medvedev has really not enjoyed playing behind closed doors, and that he's finding something, anything, to G himself up for something that he doesn't overall enjoy? So, he goes in knowing that he doesn't like it, and he's just trying to get some adrenaline going because he just feels a bit pants on the surface.
0: I, I don't, I, don't really know where I, what I think he's trying to do. I mean, I, I can't really understand how someone in his team isn't grabbing a hold of him and saying y- you need to at least try and enjoy it and <laughs> like, have a bit <laughs> of fun. Because um, it's a bit silly going into every match being like, I hate this so much. So, you know, I, maybe there is some sort of mental thing. You know, he's someone who can use negative things very positively when he wants to, but it, he's not doing that at the minute. Um, you know, there's no sign of him using the frustration of being on the surface in a positive manner. Um, so maybe he's just practicing getting into negative positions, so that when it, the French Open rolls around, he has so much experience that he's finally going to be positive. But uh, I, I, I'm I'm skeptical if that's a tactic. It's certainly one of the odder ones. But he's an odd bloke. I mean, I don't really know. He, he's 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 unconventional. He's a bit quirky. Um, so it could well be a weird long game, but I suspect it's not going to work and he won't reach the second round of the French Open.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think it it probably probably is genuine when he says it. I don't think he's quite that type of person who tries that type of stuff, but that doesn't mean he won't change his mind a couple of days later, but I quite enjoy it. I mean, I think, you know, he's he's speaking his mind. Pair's obviously speaking his mind. I think it's it's quite good that some players are actually, they're not just coming out with the same generic lines in every interview that they give. And I was only talking to a French guy yesterday about Pair, and and he said, yeah, you know, he might be feeling that way about it, but why say it in, in press conferences? But but why not? Why does each player have to keep just giving the same lines? Tennis is going to have a problem with not having any stars, and at some t- stage some t- players are going to have to start talking.
2: Mm. I think it's a very good point as well. It's something I found, you know, covering other sports. An example this week is, I was chatting to Mercedes, the you know the to the team and and their comms guys, and Mercedes brand is very you know bespoke. It's very professional, and they've kind of they've had a few staff poached uh, by Red Bull, which kind of happens all the time in in Formula One. And I said, "Oh, Red Bull have said that, that you offered to double their salaries and they left anyway," and the guy said. That's absolutely laughable. Frankly, it's more like the other way around. It's hilarious they would even say that. And I said, well, can I can I write that? Because usually they just say, look, here's the truth. Please don't say it was us. And he said, yeah. yeah, go for it. Like, and I think that what that kind of speaks to is a wider willingness of brands and athletes to be a bit more out there, to have a more of yeah. an opinion, and to not, you know, we went through this period where athletes used to be really fun, and exciting, and a bit mad in the sort of 90s and 2000s and then you had this period where they started getting called out on it and there's this big reactionary thing and therefore they were all kind of moulded and trained back into themselves and I think what you're now seeing is this kind of postmodernism of athlete media training where they are encouraged to have an opinion. I think about someone like Rock Nation Sports um, and all that they do with their athletes where they encourage them to have an opinion. I, I think
1: as well, like even speaking as Zverev over the weekend, I find it bizarre how how the commentators and, and the pundits were trying to, kept saying he deserved it and trying to sell him as a nice guy and I think almost the, the, the one area where Zverev could be useful for tennis is almost having him as kind of a, the bad guy I mean, yeah. he, he, is a, he is a bit of an ass Let, let's be straight up about it and let's almost market him like that but strangely they kept, they kept trying to push him as he's a great guy and I thought mm-hmm. that was pretty strange and yeah, we're going to need that. You need bad guys in sport. Look at the greatest rivalry we've ever had. John McEnroe was the first real bad guy in tennis. The yes. first, first serious one. And in, within that, he probably became one of the most revolutionary sports people of all time. Just bringing that. And we could do it some more.
2: And I think if you think about rivalries, and George, I know, hates the nadal Federer nonsense friendship, but you think about great rivalries in sport, it's people who hate each other. Yeah. You know, Prost and Senna. Uh, Cantona and almost anyone on the pitch at the same time those guys Arsenal and Manchester United um, in the uh, in the kind of 90s and 2000s you want people who really really hate each other Uh, not necessarily hate I suppose but you want people who show emotion and who show passion because that's why we all play sport no matter what it is that's why I was having an argument with a bloke on a rugby pitch
0: two hours ago because we we get passionate about it and we want our stars to do the same George the the other thing i'd say is like if you think about people's wider interest actually it's not so much about whether they like you or hate you it's about that they feel something about you that they have an opinion yeah. that they care what you're doing and why you're involved and actually this idea you need to be this perfect um person all the time is it can be a bit of a turn-off you know people on the tour trying to replicate federer who's somehow nailed this perfect St. Federer brand um, which, you know, great credit to him but that's such a hard brand to pull off to be like massively successful on the back of saying nothing essentially half the time. Um, So, you know, for guys like Medvedev, it's probably better for your brand just to be a bit odd, a bit funny, a bit quirky and go a bit mental now and again. I think it works. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I actually have a couple of mates who work in sport and we, we we talk about sport. We've got a WhatsApp group. And we talk about sport regularly in it, and, and they repeatedly sort of seem to judge athletes by how respectful and humble they are. And I never <laughs> get it. I'm like, I, I just don't care about that. You know, we sort of mention an athlete, and they'll go, Yeah, are you. And I think the most important thing is he, he seems really respectful. And it's like no, the most important thing is, do I want to watch him? Like, yeah, I, that's what. If if he's on, am I going to watch? and no, you that's, know,
2: that's it. That, that said, I mean, just just to kind of flip the coin slightly, is there is a line. Like, uh, yes, and, and this is why sports people do end up stuck in their shell, because they are so insulated from the real world that they don't know what is a normal thing to say. You know, you take Alexander Zverev, for example, who has these allegations hanging over him, which he strenuously denies but has not taken to court, which make of that what you will. But we've all read the articles, we've read the witness statements, and he says... You know, aren't true, but equally, is he said, she said, at the moment, and there's been no legal ramifications or legal kind of resolution of that. Um, And I suppose what I'm trying to say is that if these guys are normal people and they have normal people around them, then their character can come out, and we're all happy with it. What's also important is that they know what's right and what's wrong. And there's being a bad guy, and then there's being wrong and promoting things like domestic abuse or conspiracy theories or anything cam newton says on a regular basis like there are athletes who get it wrong and there are those who get it right and i think that's why when you're talking to your mates who are sports marketeers or whatever their default position is guys who don't get it wrong rather than guys who do get it right because it's less of a risk for them i think yeah totally i think it's definitely that
1: they want things they can sell, but I think it's it's almost like a, a peak and a trough, isn't it? There comes a point where where everything stays the same, and and do kids really want to get? Do kids really care about? And, and kids, are what we're talking about, do they care about who's respectful and that yep. kind of thing? But you know, you look at the Cantona thing after after Cantona went in the crowd at Crystal Palace, Nike just jumped on it. There, there was, <laughs> they, they, they were all over it. The stuff about how the only regret he has is he didn't hit him hard enough, and that kind of thing. And there, there was a, there was an uproar about it, but. You know, it, it doubled his prestige after that. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: It's strange. I mean, I, I don't deny it's incredibly hard. And kind of as we've illustrated, I think, over the last couple of minutes, it, it's hard to be an athlete and to have an opinion and to please everyone. And we're not asking them to, I suppose. That, that's the kind of thing. Have a, have an I, opinion. Have a, have, a, have a personality.
1: And it's funny because I was, I was literally just reading a, a book about uh, McEnroe and Borg, actually, and it says in it that in, in 1981... Uh, when he came for Wimbledon, Nike pushed a huge marketing campaign around McEnroe. And one of the posters was, it was just a picture of him and it said Nike. And it said John McEnroe's second favorite four letter word. And, <laughs> and, 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 and there was a lot of uproar about it at, at the time. And, you know, but it, it's great marketing, but that's what he was. They, they, put, they marketed him on what he was, where I wonder now whether trying to, we trying they wouldn't do that now. They'd be trying to push that he's actually a nice guy and he's actually respectful and humble and this kind of thing, because that's how we want them all to be.
2: Yeah, I actually, I'm reading a good book at the moment. Well, it's it's not a very well-written book, but it's an interesting book um, by a guy called Luke Sutton, who's a sports agent. He used to play cricket, used to manage Jimmy Anderson. And he talked about having worked with Simon Mignolet and how Simon Mignolet used to never, basically didn't have Instagram, didn't post anything on there. And they sat down and they said, well, what what's good about you, Simon? Like, why are you a good person? And he was like, well, I really love my family. I like training hard and I like cooking. And they said, OK, well, you know, we're not asking you to share your whole life on Instagram. But every time we post something on there, let's make sure it does one of those three things. And then you kind of grow into a personality and people get to know you. But, you know, there's a lot of guys out there who've got a lot of people around them who are very scared of what they might say or do. Which, frankly, given some of the gaffes and boobs that these people have posted, I'm not surprised, because I also would be scared of what they could do. Um, this is probably something we could talk about forever, but uh, we, we have run out of time, of course, as we always do. Um, keep an eye on Rome this week. It is, of course, on Amazon Prime uh, Video, as always, and their excellent coverage and commentary. We're not paid to say that. I do just quite like it. Um, Calvin hates the commentary, but that's his personal opinion. That's not uh, true. Lot- <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> not true because he's trying to blag work off. No, it's that. <laughs> <happen>. <laughs> um, but yeah, do keep an and I will of course be back next Monday. If you're listening on Locker Room, we're here every Monday night, 8 p.m. UK time. If you're listening back on the podcast, do leave us uh, a review and a rating. We really appreciate it. Go outside if you're allowed to. Go to the pub if you're allowed to. Um, but do try to enjoy.